Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Modern Mind, the podcast that simply aims to explore the minds that inspire modern society by provoking thought and inspiring change. I'm your host, Fergus Crawley, and welcome to today's episode. Today, I'm going to debrief the 4x4x96, or effectively double the Goggins 4x4x48 challenge, which is very popular at this time of year. I'm going to debrief my personal experience, the highs, the lows, the peaks, the troughs, the lessons the unexpected and everything in between, alongside hoping to give you as much insight as possible that you can perhaps take away for your attempt at the 4x4x48, perhaps a 4x4x96, or even ultras in general, as there's a lot of crossover, but there are some key differences. If you haven't yet seen the full YouTube video, then please do. We put an enormous amount of effort into it as a team and would love for your feedback on the channel. And if you haven't yet done so, please share this episode or an episode previously with a friend. Hit the follow or subscribe button and make sure to rate the show five stars and review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, as it would be very much appreciated. Thank you. So before we go any further, it is important to mention the show's sponsors. As without them, there would be no show. First up, we have Whoop, the lifestyle tracker that never needs to leave your wrist and something I've been making use of for coming up to a year now as it helps me make informed lifestyle decisions around my training, sleeping patterns, habits, behaviors, and therefore just allows me to understand a little bit more about what I'm doing on a daily basis and make better decisions if I choose to do so. Obviously, choosing to run four miles every four hours for four days was a terrible decision, but being able to look back on the data that Whoop accumulated through my sleep, my training, the four miles and everything either side of it was really, really insightful. It focuses on your strain, your recovery and your sleep, and you can piece together the data to better understand what changes you can make in your day-to-day existence to get the best out of you. It's not the be-all and end-all, it's not the gospel that some people make the mistake of thinking it is. It is one piece in the puzzle of a bigger ecosystem of things to consider when programming, monitoring your lifestyle, changing your habits, adjusting your sleep, all these things. And I just want to encourage people not to fall into the trap of letting the data be the only thing that they bear in mind, but rather to use it as information that helps inform their decisions as part of other things that help inform those decisions. So if you'd like to give Whoop a go and get your first month for free, then please do use the link in the description down below and you can do exactly that. And please do let me know how you get on over socials. Next up, we have Man Cave, who are without a doubt the UK's most exciting men's grooming business as they are 100% natural, 100% recyclable, 100% cruelty-free and 100% vegan without any compromising on performance. And they have a huge range of performance-focused products for you to choose from. Everything from weird and wonderful smelling shower gels to shampoo, conditioner to anti-fatigue eye gel and everything in between. Your bathroom is covered with Man Cave and mine has been for well over a year now and I thoroughly enjoy the products. I feel great, I smell great and dare I say it, sometimes I look great and that's a, a nice feeling at the end of the day. So if you'd like to give Man Cave products a go, please use the code FERGUS40 at checkout to save yourself 40% off, which is an enormous amount of money to save, so do act fast. And please check them out on social media as well as Strava, where they have a thriving community that you can get involved with. So, without any further ado, let's dive into today's episode. So let's kick things off with a little bit of context, as there is a man in America called David Goggins who has an illustrious military career as well as a decorated ultra running career and that is about all the context on him as an individual as I feel I need to give. If you're looking for more then a Google search will do you very well. 
but obviously come back here to listen to the rest of this episode once you've done that. Can't go very long without seeing his face on the internet at the moment. He is a topical figure. He is a man with opinions that are quite out there, quite controversial, and I agree with elements of what he says. I agree with elements of his message. I disagree with elements of his message, and I think there's elements of his message that could be better contextualized. And that is something that we'll unpack a little bit more today. We do so in the video, and I've had some interesting conversations with people online on exactly that. But I want to go, and I do 100% believe there's elements of his message that can really change and improve people's lives. But there are some caveats that I personally would like to give to that based on my own experiences. So for context on this challenge, from my personal point of view, I have been asked hundreds of times to do the 4x4x48, but it's never really appealed to me that much. For context, it is running four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Normally, Goggins leads the charge on the first weekend of March, and everybody does it at the same time worldwide, which I think is fantastic from a community point of view. And I think the challenge itself is a great way to dip your toe into the willing adversity that comes from ultra-endurance training and gives you an insight into the value and reward that can come from putting yourself in that situation. But, as I will unpack later on, it is not quite the same demand as doing an ultra A to B or A to B to A, depending on how the ultra is formatted. But essentially, I have been asked hundreds of times to do it and I've never really been that keen because I feel like all of the things that I would learn from it, I have already learned from ultra endurance events. So, logic says, double it and give it to the next person. And I so happen to be the next person in this case. So I thought with compounding fatigue, compounding sleep deprivation, this would be an interesting experiment. It would give me some expertise on being able to give some advice, give more advice on the 4x4x48 from an experiential point of view, but also it would be pushing the boundary a little bit to see what comes out the other side, as I tend to enjoy doing. So we rented an apartment in Quartermile, which is an area of Edinburgh that oversees the Meadows, which was the park that I was running laps around for four days and set up camp there. So we had a two-man team on top of myself with a clear brief on the story to tell, what we want to focus on, how we want to put this together, how we wanted the logistics to unfold, what people's roles were, etc, etc. So we did plan it quite meticulously ahead of time, and we did set up base to do so to make things as easy as possible and to just streamline the whole process, as is important for the 4x4x48. I'm not suggesting you rent somewhere to do it, but streamlining, removing friction is a very salient point that I will unpack as we go. So first up, let's cover training. As I didn't really do any focus training for this specifically, other than really understand my competency and confidence with my aerobic pacing, as I would suggest that you do if you're going for the 4x4x48, and by that I mean understand what your really sustainable go-all-day pace is so that you can set strict parameters for your pacing when it comes to running those four miles because going too hard too soon, too fast too soon will catch up with you. It will make it more difficult to sleep. It makes the chance of cramping higher. And if you can become competent and confident in an aerobic setting, then it will give you a better chance of just doing the work and dealing with the inconvenience and sleep deprivation that comes with the challenge. That's essentially exactly what happened to me is I just backed my aerobic ability and I actually got fitter as time went on. My heart rate never really went above 150 at any stage and that was really rewarding and felt great to know that I had the aerobic capacity to just crack on. So training wise, I didn't do anything specific, but I obviously do a lot of aerobic base work all the time and train an awful lot. So arguably I did, but if you wanted to prep to this, I wouldn't worry 
too much about the specifics other than really banking on your aerobic capacity and knowing what your pacing strategy would be. If I was to guess, I'd say that a tolerance for a half marathon or perhaps a little bit more would allow the foundation needed for the 4x4x48. If you wanted to push it to 4x4x96, then maybe a marathon. It's kind of guesswork at this point. The premise of the challenge doesn't allow for too much training what the challenge is all about, though, which is sleep deprivation, resolve, and tolerating inconvenience. So that's where the challenge really finds its feet because it's thrusting you into the unknown. And that's where adversity thrives. That's where we learn more about ourselves. And that's why the challenge is quite unique and ultimately why Goggins has created it the way that he has, I would imagine. So prepare for inconvenience, prepare for frustration, prepare for sleep deprivation. Don't prepare for the conventional physical degradation that would go with a regular ultra because they're very different things. Secondly, let's cover nutrition. What did I eat and how should you approach things if you were to consider this? So I took the attitude of eating as consistently as I could, but not changing things too much. So eat what I normally would eat as consistently as I could without at any point eating like a powerlifter who's just made weight 24 hours before his lifting and bloating, feeling sluggish and heavy and making digestion, interrupt my running and sleep, etc, etc. So be balanced, but be consistent and focus on quality foods as and where you could. Very hypocritical if anyone's seen the video as I did actually forget my quality foods on night one and had cereal for dinner, but do as I say, not as I do in this case. Something I did then find was actually that digestion was interrupting my sleep overnight. So I found that reducing my intake of food and fluids overnight made a big difference to my sleep quality and therefore my sleep wasn't interrupting my digestion and my digestion wasn't interrupting my sleep as much as it had been on night one and a bit of night two where I just felt like they were interfering with one another too much and the better decision was to bank a lot of calories and fluids during the day when I was awake in the gaps and then using the time overnight to sleep and focus on sleep. So that worked for me, something to consider at your end. I just think that minimizing intake overnight was useful, but don't reinvent the wheel. This isn't a conventional ultra. You've got plenty of time to eat. You don't need to treat it like you're running a hundred miler where you're eating every half an hour, having this much sodium, this many carbs. It's a little bit more loose than that in terms of what my recommendations would be. I think generally speaking, I'd say take a small surplus of your maintenance calories and then balance the books with the running. So whatever you burn running, eat that back. And that was essentially the approach that I was taking. I wasn't actually counting calories, but I was pretty confident in what I was eating. I was eating well above. I didn't really have any issues with getting food on board throughout. If anything, I was just constantly hungry. So definitely something to bear in mind. But me, be meticulous with having enough on board and ready and accessible so that you're not going to run out of food, you're not going to have to run to the supermarket because that's just going to create friction and the challenge is all about friction. So the more you can plan, the less friction you will experience, which means the better prepared for the challenge you will be. Salts and fluids are important. They need to be constant and strict as this is where things could go wrong with cramp, especially overnight. So do make sure to be a little bit more strict and regimented with salts and fluids, I would suggest as that's what I found to be the thing that kept me feeling most steady. And I often prioritized in the sort of depth of the night, salt and fluids ahead of food because I didn't want my stomach to feel too expanded, bloated, destroyed, 
whatever phrase you want to use, by having too much food before I could get the fluids on board. Fluids became the priority because I was eating more than enough throughout the day in the gaps. And that is something that I found very effective. So it's not rocket science. I don't have any real silver bullet nutrition suggestions for you here other than to eat what you normally eat consistently in adequate amounts and make sure to prioritize hydration. It sounds like I'm teaching you to suck eggs and I don't mean to insult your intelligence by saying it as simply as that, but that's the approach that I took, really focused on the basics and it worked well for me over four days. Thirdly, kit. Have lots of it. I found that I wanted to shower between every effort, so kit turnover was quite high. I went every second, I was showering every second run to start with, but I just found myself feeling really grubby and dirty and didn't like it. And I found that I was actually a bit more uncomfortable going into the second run because I was kind of in dry, salty clothes, spay the details, but it wasn't very comfortable. So I found myself showering after every effort, which meant that turnover of kit was quite high. Wanted to focus on obviously anti-chafe material, things that you've worn before, things that are comfortable, things that you know you can run long distances in, things that you know you can get in and out of easily. Nothing new, same rules apply. Don't try new trainers, don't try a new trail bag, don't try this fancy new material because it might tear your nipples to pieces, you could be bleeding out of your gooch, you never know. Use things you use already, like with the food, don't change things up too much, do what you normally do, just have lots of it available. Have spares, set yourself up for the turnover, make sure logistically you're prepared, make sure you've got a system in and outside the door, whatever you've got going on in your accommodation setup, whether that is a house, a flat, an apartment, a rented accommodation like it was for us, make sure you have a system in and out the door so that you know where everything is, you're reducing the friction and you don't find yourself without kit or in kit that's uncomfortable or dirty, which is therefore making an issue develop that could catch up with you in the next run or the run after that or three runs from that point because this is a game of compounding fatigue and you want to essentially prolong your happiness as long as you can and a huge part of that is making sure that your kit is well managed. Fourthly, let's cover sleep as that is obviously a huge component of this challenge. My logic from the off was to sleep during the night only so to maintain some sort of rhythm. So essentially it meant that I was sleeping in the midnight to 4 a.m. slots. I started at 4 p.m. for reference, 4 p.m. on the Thursday and finished on the uh, about 1, 1 p.m. on the Monday. So 4 p.m. on the Thursday through to the 12 midday slot on the Monday. And I was sleeping in the 12 till 4 and 4 till 8 slots overnight. I did plan to sleep between 8 and 12 but actually didn't find myself feeling that sleepy and the last thing I wanted to do was find myself lying in bed staring at the wall getting frustrated that I couldn't sleep because that's time that I could have spent relaxing eating drinking not getting stressed out about the magnitude of what was to come so I had to be quite balanced with that and almost listen to how I was feeling I did fall asleep on the sofa at one point in that gap and felt much worse off for it because I felt a bit dazed and out of rhythm which is why from the off my logic was to keep some sort of pattern overnight as I normally would and this worked and whilst I did feel horrendous overnight it must be said I felt much better and very stable during the day more stable than I expected to be honest so my recommendation would be to maximize sleep time to minimize friction 
So food prepared as you come in the door, know exactly what you're doing when you get in and the sleep gaps, get some food on board, little amount, get some water on board, some salts on board, jump in the shower if you want to, make sure you know where your stuff is to get out the door in three hours, two and a half hours time, whatever it might be. So maximize sleep time, minimize friction in the sleep time slots that you allocate. I very much found that working, existing, catching up on food and sort of working from my laptop and going to the coffee shop during the day was very valuable. And then I had my sleep sections overnight. So it gave a bit of predictability, which was valuable psychologically, but also maintaining some sort of circadian rhythm, albeit highly interrupted, was very, very useful to see me through it. Body heat was also something to bear in mind. Keep the room cool. That was something I really focused on from the off. Very minute details I went into this with, you can probably tell. But I knew that my body heat would get higher and higher and higher as I became more and more fatigued. And perhaps my heart rate was getting higher. Perhaps I was getting my clothing wrong, whatever it might be. So that only really became a problem on night four when I barely slept because my body was so hot that I was sweating like crazy and was just very uncomfortable in bed. So try and keep the room cool so that you can mitigate this as much as possible. If you're out for a run, you're straight into a shower, you're drinking, you're eating, you're not really giving yourself much of a chance to cool down before you get into bed where you'd conventionally have a higher body temperature anyway. So a lot of stress to manage and that is essentially the premise of the challenge. So the better you can manage these stresses, the better prepared you'll be to see it through. So big consideration for me, I found night three and four really tough and that's where minimizing the intake overnight food and drink wise helped. So my routine was essentially in the door from my four miles at midnight and 4 a.m. I had a banana. I sipped about 250 milliliters of water with lower sodium content so that I wasn't too sloshy in my stomach. Got quickly in the shower, had it on a lukewarm to then slightly cooler temperature, not too icy as is very in vogue at the moment, as that would have woke me up a little bit, and then got straight to bed. And then my alarm went off at quarter two. I knew exactly where my clothes were so that I could grab them, put them on, complain a bit, get some water in me, and step outside the door. So knowing that routine, having that predictability was very useful, but sticking to a sleep schedule, albeit interrupted and horrendous, was definitely something that I would recommend. So the fifth thing to consider is mindset. And the totality of the 4x4x48, or in my case, the 4x4x4 days, is overwhelming. So you need to view it as reps and sets. You need to view it as reps within the set of a day, and you need to break things up into as small chunks as you can, which is why the four miles is great, because you're essentially going for a four-mile run, then you have an arrest, and then you're going for another four-mile run. So really, all you're doing is a four-mile run. That's it. You just then do it again. So look at things in the context of themselves. So four miles is all you ever need to cover at any one time. So treat it as such. And that helps you psychologically really split things up and not get overwhelmed by what's to follow. And that's where the strategy and the planning and focusing on the things that I've mentioned already and the things that I really took into this ahead of time made that much easier to do because all I was doing was developing a routine around four miles which meant that when I went to do it again, it felt a bit well more well more well oiled, better grooved, and it was one rep of four miles, one rep of four miles, one rep of four miles. Okay, that's the set done today. Now I can sleep, but I've got some more reps to go, etc., etc. So, accepting that the drudgery and the inconvenience is the challenge. So keep your metal, your resolve for that, and don't try and treat it too much as a physical challenge where you slog your way through the four miles. That's why I very much recommend the aerobic pacing for it. This is a challenge designed to give you easy outs. 
you'll wrestle with them. The aim is to win. That is the premise of the challenge, is you're comfortable, you're in bed, you're warm, you're cozy, you're not outside running. And the last thing you want to do is get out of bed and attack that four-mile run. But that's what you're here to do. So the more that you can accept that that is the challenge and reframe the running as just a part of continuing the challenge to the end, the better you pre- the better prepared your mind will be to tolerate that drudgery and you can really put all your focus on getting out of bed because that is the essence of this. That's where things get tough and that's where things compound over time so that you are wrestling yourself internally and every time you get out of bed, it is a huge, huge win. Humor is a massive coping mechanism for me. I very much used it with myself and the team as this unfolded, sending Jacob away so that he could go and have eight hours of sleep overnight as Ed was the man holding the camera doing the night shift was hilarious for myself in a very twisted way because obviously I was feeling very sorry for myself and therefore disguising that with humor but as time went on if you can't laugh about these things then you're going to let the overwhelm get to you and that's where I think having people around you if you can why the community element of this challenge is so fantastic but if you can do this with somebody great (laughs) suffer together laugh about it and embrace the fact that you've willingly chosen to do something stupid and if you can't take the piss out of yourself not take yourself too seriously not worry too much about the times and enjoy the experience then you'll be much better off. I have found humor. You've probably seen it in videos. The Double Brutal is a great example. This is a good example. And there's the Keltman, there's the 100 Miler. There's all this stuff on YouTube you can go and look at and you can see my sarcasm develop more and more and more as I become more and more fatigued. And I would not be able to cope through these events without humor. And I very much did so during this one. So my recommendation would be don't take yourself too seriously and whatever you're doing, whether it's the 4x4 or 4x48, or otherwise, finding humor in these situations is what these things are all about. If you can smile in the face of adversity, you are winning. And that is what these events are here for. So the sixth point is, was there anything unexpected? And yes, there was actually. There are a few things that I will cover. So first of all, the degradation physically wasn't as horrendous as I expected it to be. I had a bit of a plantar fascia issue at one point. I had a bit of a twinge behind my knee, but I think a lot of it was actually just the shock of getting back out of bed and getting moving. It was very strange to be going from that dynamic to really relaxed position over and over again. And there was a point where I thought, oh God, if my foot gets worse, this is going to be a bit of a problem. It didn't. It kind of came and went, which which is cool. But I didn't feel absolutely done in to the point where I really confidently ran down Arthur's seat to finish which was really exciting and exhilarating. And ironically, I felt like I could have gone again once I got down to the car park, probably the adrenaline speaking. But the degradation over 96 miles in this format wasn't anything like the degradation of 96 miles start, keep going. Because the compounding effect was supplemented by rest, sleep, more access to food, more access to fluids, more general time. So I think the the development of fatigue over the four days meant that there was some doms and some sort of day one niggles that developed by day four but the relentless sort of pounding effect that comes from the ultra didn't really happen i think the rest mitigated that somewhat so 96 miles start stop is very different to 96 miles in this format something that's important to mention unexpectedly i also got fitter as time went on my fastest lap was about eighth 
38, 25 minute per mile pace and my slowest was about 10 minute per mile pace. That was kind of the brief. The 8.30 came out of nowhere and I felt great. My heart rate never really got above 150. I think my heart rate average for that one was 148. The average was about 141. So really quite comfortable, but I just felt great and opened up for that one lap. And then to be fair, all the laps after that felt horrendous. So maybe I spoke too soon, but nonetheless, nonetheless, I did feel more aerobically efficient as time went on. And the fatigue effect was very much perceptible rather than reflected in the data and joints ankles everything seems to hold out quite well which is cool i i actually expected the degradation to be a little bit more aggressive and my fitness to degrade quite horribly to the point where my heart rate would be difficult to control but that wasn't the case i actually found that routine was imperative which was quite unexpected i didn't expect to be so competent during the day and have that sort of mock circadian rhythm effects so well oiled i actually had a, a bit of a morning routine going on where i exited the apartment stage right and walked my way down to soderberg bakery any edinburgh residents will know it swedish bakery delicious fantastic they've done very well for themselves and i would get myself a baked good pastry and a latte and i would walk back to the apartment and enjoy it sat down at my desk on the laptop i'm recording this on now working away on a few things and I did that every morning for four days and I really looked forward to it. Morale-wise, morale, morale wise, it was fantastic and it was also very invigorating in terms of the food, the fuel, and that was the only caffeine I had. So the only caffeine I had throughout this whole thing was at about 8.45, 9 a.m. 9 a.m., give or take, on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I didn't have any more caffeine the entire time. So I was very sparing with caffeine and that's probably something I'd recommend as well because you could easily manipulate it and put yourself in a bit of a hole hydration-wise because it's a diuretic, give yourself a bit of a headache, you could easily rely on it too much and really shaft your sleep, to be honest. So use it sparingly, use it strategically. And if you've got a coffee shop that does Swedish baked goods and lattes, then I would recommend it. So having a routine over the four days, I didn't expect to be the case. I thought I'd just sort of degrade into a blob and not be able to do anything other than crawl myself to the door and then run and then complain for three hours or so. But no, the routine was well maintained for the four days and I actually felt like I was just doing what became quite normal. So that was cool. Next up, the insanity slash sleep deprivation wasn't as cognitively destructive as I expected. Weird sentence, but I didn't go as loopy as I thought I would. And neither did Ed, neither did Jacob. Compare that to the double brutal by sort of mid-afternoon on day two when the whole support car and myself were all losing our minds. I think the fact that you were getting some sleep as you went and a bit of rest to sort of recover and really just unwind, decompress momentarily those peaks and troughs makes a huge difference. So whilst the sleep deprivation was bad, the real battle was getting out of bed and then getting through those runs rather than the compounding sleep deprivation and cognitive decline that I've experienced on other races. So for example, the double brutal, whilst it was essentially half the days, the cognitive decline and sleep deprivation effect was significantly more severe for myself and those around me as a result of not having the opportunity to sort of sleep. I mean, I slept for 12 or 15 minutes on the double brutal, but that was hardly the two and a half hours that I was getting sporadically on this challenge. So you'll probably go a bit loopy if you've not been in that situation before, but Interestingly, it wasn't quite as much of a problem as I expected it to be. I was still working for my laptop on Monday morning. I was still feeling quite competent. I actually had a call with, uh, I can't remember who it was, I had a call with an athlete, one of our sort of one-to-one top-tier athletes on the Sunday and the Friday, 
and then had a call with corporate on the Monday morning and managed to hold my own to the point where they didn't say, Fergus, are you okay? You sound like you're dying, as I was pretending not to die behind the Zoom camera. But nonetheless, maybe they said that behind my back as I hit end call and missed about seven times. But you never know. You never know. So as with these things, expect the unexpected. I can sit and laugh about the unexpected now, but most of them are actually quite positive unexpected outcomes. But in terms of negative unexpected not too much really. I like to plan diligently for these things and the only thing that became really overbearing that normally wouldn't be too much of a problem for me was boredom. So doing laps around the meadows was obviously strategic for filming and for practicality but the boredom did become quite overwhelming at points especially during the night but what was also unexpected was a fantastic visit from a University of Edinburgh student who perked me right up at midnight on day three. What a bloody legend and that was magnificent as I needed that at the time that it came and that was exceptionally valuable so thank you very much. Number seven, let's compare this to an ultra. So different demands. In my opinion ultras are more demanding and by that I mean if you were to run 48 miles A to B versus this I would say the ultra is more demanding and different. That's not to say that this is not worth doing or not valuable but I'd say don't compare them like for like. It's it's apples and oranges. So I'm really using the comparison there on headspace and the sort of place I find myself going. I didn't really feel myself getting into the ultra headspace on this. And I think that's down to the rest. The, the sort of insanity and sleep deprivation point I just made I think applies here too. So the compounding fatigue effect of of an ultra catches up with you where you're a bit depleted. You're, you're a bit mentally spent. You don't know when your next rest, quote-unquote, is going to be. And you're covering a distance that's wearing you down over and over and over again without any real respite in between. Whereas this is quite strategic. It's bite-sized chunks. And again, the real challenge is getting yourself out of bed and having the resolve and metal to do so. And then if you can do it with a smile on your face, even better. But they're very different things. But what I do think is that 48 miles in this format is very different to 48 miles in an ultra format but that doesn't mean that this 48 miles is in any way not valuable i think this is a great great entry point into the value of willing adversity and one can build from there if they feel they got something from it i think the community aspect is fantastic and yeah my headspace in this never really got to the point that i found it do in previous ultras where i'm very reflective almost quite like psychedelic induced almost is, is how I would imagine it to be and whilst everything felt very steady and composed and I had the opportunity to think and sort of reflect on the world around me I didn't get into that 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 I don't even know how to describe it that that headspace that I I find so valuable from ultra endurance events yes I met myself along the way yes I had to ask myself some tough questions but it wasn't in the sort of top-down view way that I would describe it in ultras. So that was a very wishy-washy point, I will admit. So hopefully those that have done ultras and this may be able to empathize, but my point is simple in that by all means please do the 4x4 by 48 if you would like to get into something like this and then build from there. But if you're thinking, oh I want to do my first ultra for the sake of doing an ultra, then I would recommend doing an ultra and use this as a stepping stone or something that's a bit of fun as training or resilience building or just challenging in a different way. So they are both intrinsically valuable, but they are not comparable mileage for mileage, if that all makes sense. So the question to finish on is, should you do the 4x4x48? And I think, yeah, yeah, you probably should if you're, if you're keen. It's, it's 
good fun in its own unique way. It depends how you set it up. If you do it with friends, if you do it with family, if you've got a crew around you, then great. Very community-led and just a strange exercise in human suffering and delegation and strange weekend warrior activities. But I think it's very valuable. And Goggins does get a lot of stick. I don't think this is as hard as people make it out to be online. Sorry if that's a bit controversial, but... I think the premise of this challenge is great to represent all of the good elements of Goggins' message without necessarily letting the bad come into it too much. And on that, what I'm going to do now is just play the audio from the video that went live last week because I'm not going to be able to say it any better than I did then. But I'm going to play that to give my perspective on on Goggins and and this challenge in general and, and why I approach things in the way that I do from my experience and hope that you take something away from this because I think there's a huge amount of value in charging towards adversity and putting yourself in difficult situations, but I do think emotional awareness is the thread of DNA that needs to run through that for that to be valuable for our mental health long-term and for us to get the best out of ourselves in the process. So just before I play this clip to see out the episode, I'm going to say thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder to do all of the podcasty stuff, please. Hit the follow button, subscribe button, rate and review the show, share this episode or an episode previously with a friend. Do please check out the video on YouTube. Huge amount of effort went into it. And thank you again for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. Lots happening this year, and I'm happy to have you along. Thrilled, in fact, to have you along for the ride. So let's get my perspective on Goggins in general terms, and I will see you next time. So part of the reason that I'm doing this challenge is to tip my proverbial hat to David Goggins, as he is a savage in the modern world, and his literature has shared some unique insights with people that have engaged with it. But there are a few things that I don't necessarily agree with. So whilst I'm a huge advocate for exposing our vulnerabilities, developing our resilience, and committing to difficult tasks, I do believe it's worth really highlighting the traumatic experiences that David Goggins has experienced in his younger years and in the military, and why his experience and his life message and the way he approaches things now are a result of those experiences. So therefore, trying to mold ourselves on his experiences into our own might not be the most refined way to do it for the individual. So with that in mind, I think it's important to take the top line message from Mr. Goggins himself, and that is to embrace discomfort and commit to difficult things because we will be better for it. But it's important to look at that through the lens of your own experience because that's where you as an individual can develop yourself and why the challenge, the event that I'm doing out there over the next couple of days is so valuable as a way to discover those things about yourself. I haven't been exposed to the hardship or difficulty that Goggins has, but I would like to think that the credibility of the things I've achieved over the years put me in a position where it's fair to say I have a high tolerance for willing suffering and ultra-endurance events and putting myself in uncomfortable situations and coming out the other side. And I do firmly believe that we should manage when we're putting our foot to the floor and when we're taking our foot off the gas a little bit from an individual point of view. Managing our mental health, understanding ourselves and being analytical about how we respond to things is an important component of our entire well-being. And that's where I I disagree with the videos of Goggins running the day after the Moab 250 saying that if he's not running the next day, he's not working hard enough because that can develop 
a negative association with personal achievement and personal development. And one of the things that really struck me, whether it was a PR stunt, whether it was marketing or not, was Goggins holding up his most recent book and saying, I'm not proud of many of my, many of my achievements, but I'm proud of this. And the thought that somebody with such an illustrious career wasn't proud of their achievements makes it seem to me that potentially the ideology in which he is existing is not the healthiest of ideologies to exist within. So I'd encourage you to be proud of your achievements, know when to put your foot to the floor, know when to take it off the gas, but to charge towards difficult things and embrace discomfort because that means you'll have a much more refined understanding of when to do exactly that.